shortly put, are the black Muslims taking you I for a ride? Not. I said not black Muslims, Muslims. I beg your pardon, are the Muslims taking no, you for a ride? No, the white people have been taking us for a ride for the past 400 years in America. The Muslims are straightening me up and teaching me the truth and saving my life so that I can see the hereafter. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us the religion of Islam and I will die for it and give everything. But as far as taking me for a ride is concerned, I've been the one that was taking me for a ride and still taking my people for a ride as the white people. Tell me, champ, would you have been prepared to go into the army if it hadn't been, been for the Vietnam War? No, under no conditions do we take part in wars to take lives of other humans. And that was Muhammad Ali, and this is labor and love. A brave man who refused induction, wouldn't fight the white man's war. This is Labor and Love, and we're coming at you on Mutiny Radio. And yes, this week we lost Muhammad Ali, so I had decided to play one of the saddest, beautiful saddest songs I know.
foot two and he's six feet four. He fights with missiles and with spears. He's all of 31 and he's only 17. He's been a soldier for a thousand years. He's a Catholic, a Hindu, an atheist, a Jain, a Buddhist and a Baptist and a Jew. my friend and me for you and he's fighting for Canada he's fighting for France he's fighting for the USA and he's fighting for the Russians and he's fighting for Japan and he thinks we'll put an end to war this way and he's fighting for democracy he's fighting for the Reds it's for the peace of all He's the one who must decide Who's to live and who's to die And he never sees the writing on the wall But without him, how would Hitler have condemned him at Dachau? Without him, Caesar would have stood alone He's the one who gives his body as a weapon of the war And without him, all Buffy St. Marie there with uh, the Universal Soldier. And we opened up with a quote from Muhammad Ali about his determination as a Muslim not to fight in the war in uh, Vietnam at the time. There's always a war going on they want you to fight in. And... Uh, but in between that, one of the saddest songs I know to express my feeling today at the death of a real hero, and I don't want to say hero in the mythol mythological sense, a hero because he was a man of conscience, Muhammad Ali. This is Labor and Love. You're listening to Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street. Talking about war and the worker on Labor and Love. And remember, this is the show where we tell you how it is. If one person got a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, like the Verizon workers. And finally, never let anyone into your heart who's not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Sort of the theme of the show is uh, workers and war. Of all the tricks 
and the abstractions that are foisted upon us of all the lies we're told one of the greatest is war because in war working people destroy each other the baker in one land is turned on the baker in another land the steel worker in one land fights the steel worker in another land the ultimate expression of workers warring on each other it's any war is a civil war because workers are killing each other well I want to play some more of Muhammad Ali's brave stand Cassius Clay people persisted in calling him even though he insisted that Cassius Clay was his slave name his grandmother had been raped by a white slave master and he changed his name to Muhammad Ali insisted that people call him that and when one fighter Floyd Patterson for example refused to call him Muhammad Ali when they went into the ring Muhammad Ali hammered Floyd Patterson over and over yelling at him what's my name fool what's my name what's my name fool what's my name and hitting him and hitting him until he'd beaten Patterson to a pulp Patterson was a good fighter a very good fighter here's some more of Muhammad Ali and uh, his trial before the draft board Houston, Texas, 8 o'clock Friday morning enter Clay with bodyguard to him larger bodyguard of cameramen and reporters Well, we're not getting Muhammad Ali in the draft board. Let's listen to a little piano music while I get it together here. We are getting piano music, and we will be getting Muhammad Ali. Muslims, Muslims. I beg your pardon, are the Muslims taking no, you for a ride? No, the white people have been taking us for a ride for the past 400 years in America. The Muslims are straightening me up and teaching me the truth and saving my life so that I can see the hereafter. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us the religion of Islam and I will die for it and give everything. But as far as taking me for a ride is concerned, I've been the one that was taking me for a ride and still taking my people for a ride as the white people. Tell me, champ, would you have been prepared to go into the army if it hadn't been, been for the Vietnam War? No, under no conditions do we take part in wars to take lives of other humans.
Houston, Texas, 8 o'clock Friday morning. Enter Clay with bodyguard. To him, larger bodyguard of cameramen and reporters. Good morning, champ. How's it going to go this morning? Clay's first taste of military life, and quite possibly his only one, was at the induction or call-up centre at the old post office building in Houston. Just before lunch, it's all over, but Clay is not telling what happened in the private ceremony where one pace forward would have meant acceptance of the call-up. From Clay himself, nothing. The man they used to call the Louisville Lip and cast the gas had forsworn speech for the time being. Are you talking to us, champ? All I have here is uh, uh, statements that I have prepared. Statements that I have prepared. Answered all of your questions on future fights. Come on, Eddie. The future period. Anything you can think of. Uh, I have the statements, and I have them to be released now. Could you state briefly why you declined? No, I will not say nothing. It's all in here. The statement said that Clay would have been untrue to his religion if he'd accepted the draft. Clay and his advisors were more anxious that they should be recognized as a proper church, whose ministers were on a level with other ministers. No comments on the weather, nothing. For the press? What do no you have comments to say on right the now? press. All I have to say is no comment. Do you like Houston, Muhammad Ali? Yes, I love Houston. This is my home. No comment. Are you satisfied with the way that people are treating you here? No comments on the way the people are treating me. Were you hoping for a more preferable draft situation here in Houston, Muhammad Ali? No comments on the draft situation. No. Every question you ask me is useless. No more comments. Watching is a uh, session with Muhammad Ali and uh, one of his opponents, Carl Mildenberger. Okay, so Muhammad Ali there refusing to comment on. Uh, there's one with 
Muhammad Ali goes to Watts. Okay, well, we're not getting sound on any of that, so let's just leave it. The point is, Muhammad Ali refusing induction. Now, just on a personal note, as a vociferous uh, member of the anti-war movement in the 1960s, uh, we saw Muhammad Ali's refusal to be inducted as an affirmation that the anti-war movement wasn't just about middle-class white boys who wanted to go to college and get on with their studies, as a lot of the press portrayed us. It cut across all ethnic, religious, social, economic lines. Someone like Muhammad Ali would join the anti-war movement and become a symbol was truly inspiring. Uh, what's not mentioned much in all the brouhaha around Muhammad Ali's death is that he was a friend and student of Malcolm X about the time he was training for the first Liston fight Malcolm X came to his camp and they spent a lot of time together. Uh, it could be Malcolm X encouraged Ali not to be inducted. Not sure about that, but he did usher Muhammad Ali into the nation of Islam. Although later on when uh, Elijah Muhammad turned his back Malcolm X, uh, Ali, like the rest of the Nation of Islam, or most of it, uh, followed suit and didn't talk about uh, Malcolm X anymore until <clears throat> and Malcolm was killed. Another thing about Ali was that he was extremely generous to things like old people's home. There's a story that he visited an old people's home, Jewish old people's home, and later on gave them a check for $10,000. And somebody said to him, well, wait a minute. I mean, that's Jewish people. He said, no, those are old people. I'm into old people. Uh, there are a lot of stories like that about Muhammad Ali. Let's listen to this about the Beatles. When Muhammad Ali went to, uh, was training for the Sonny Liston fight. And he took one look at these four little boys and he said, I ain't posing with them sissies. So the Beatles were stuffed back into their limo, and as second best, they were taken to Cassius Clay's training camp. Cassius Clay was fighting Sonny Liston for the heavyweight championship of the world. So I'm 26 years old. I was a feature writer sent down to cover the fight. I go down where Cassius Clay trained. 
I go up the stairs to the gym and there's this hubbub behind me. And I ask one of the guys, some group, you know, singers for, for girls. And Cassius Clay has not arrived. The Beatles turn around, because they're not gonna wait for some Cassius Clay, but the guards push them right up. And I, in those days, you could push the Beatles. They pushed them right up the stairs, and they pushed all five of us into an empty dressing room and locked the door. The Beatles were raging, and they were banging and cursing. And then suddenly, the door bursts open. There is the most beautiful creature any of us have ever seen. You, you forget how big Cassius Clay was because he was so perfect. He was laughing and he said, come on, Beatles, let's go make some money. And they followed him out like, like kindergarten kids. <laughs> February 18th, 1964. It's an amazing moment, the kind of confluence of two of the great cultural rivers of our time. Muhammad Ali uh, meets the Beatles. Here's uh, right after the Sonny Liston fight. That was after uh, he defeated Sonny Liston, which no one gave him a chance to do. Uh, he had fought some good fighters before that. Uh, had a really close fight with a, a guy named Doug Jones. But um, no one gave him a chance. I mean, and he was crazy nervous before that fight. Liston, of course, had destroyed everyone he'd fought. He was mob-connected. Most fighters were at that time. It was hard not to be. Um, anyway, this is uh, Muhammad Ali actually did serve jail time in order to support himself while he was out. And his work was taken from him. His work as a, a fighter was taken from him. 
Uh, he was broke. He went out and started talking to college at college campuses. And there he was, this was kind of the basis of his wider popularity <clears throat> in the black neighborhoods. He was revered. He had stood up to the white man. He had refused to fight the white man's war. He had gone, refused to go and fight and kill other people of color. And he made it a point to say so. As he said, no Vietnamese ever called me nigger. I got nothing against them Vietnamese. So his case was dismissed on a technicality And he returned to boxing to fight uh, the first of three uh, epic fights against Joe Frazier. Here's the first one of which he lost. Here's the first one, the fight of the century, it was called. Muhammad Ali may try a blessing. Frazier is smiling as he takes those jabs. Trying to slug with Joe. That was a hard jab and a good right cross. A whipping right hand that did Muhammad Ali no good. It's a real pure six belt. Oh, to stop talking. They have time for that. Andy. seconds to go in the round. And up under that battering. Okay, we're watching a video with sound fight called the fight of the century. In 1971, a, a fight which Ali lost, unanimous decision. But uh, he was back. He fought George Foreman then. Now, big George Foreman had, was not like the guy we know now with his hamburger helper cook pan or whatever it is. Uh, Foreman was a huge man, a strong man. And in Zaire, where the fight took place, he hammered Ali constantly. Ali kind of let it happen. He, he said it was like rope-a-dope. He was going to tire Foreman out. And when Foreman did finally pause, he'd been hammering Ali all night. Ali jumped out and... Got him. See if we can hear some of this. Highlights from the fight They're against really George the stare Foreman. On each other. George Foreman has that serious look. Ali definitely talking to him. Shifting left for right. George moves slow. Ali gets the first punch in. Looking to drop that left hook. From Zaire, Africa. That punch did no damage. That one did. And vicious hook. There's a real strong right hand just underneath the heart. And Muhammad Ali. But a straight left jab thrown by Foreman. Has Ali in the corner. Ali dances back. 
Looks has a tremendous look of determination. Staggered, Foreman staggered, definitely on the rubbery side. The referee separates the two fighters. There's a vicious left. No real serious damage done. Ali is getting his hand up. The wild left. Round five. This is George Foreman's round all the way. Ali, this is a cruising round for him. Foreman wailing away. Great moments from the life of Muhammad Ali. That last one was probably the pinnacle of his career, in a career that had so many, uh, when he knocked out George Foreman. So, we celebrate the life of Muhammad Ali.
a man who stood up and uh, refused to be counted, refused to go fight a war, and uh, someone we should all honor. All working people should honor Muhammad Ali. He refused to fight the rich man's war. He refused to be counted as a soldier of imperialism. Here's E.E. E. Cummings, another draft resistor. Next to, of course, God, America, I love you, land of the pilgrims, and so forth. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early my country tis of? Centuries come and go and are no more. What of it we should worry? In every language, even deaf and dumb, thy sons acclaim your glorious name. By gurry, by jingo, by gee, by gosh, by gum. <laughs> Why talk of beauty? What could be more beautiful than these heroic happy dead who rushed like lions to the roaring slaughter? They did not stop to think, they died instead. Then shall the voice of liberty be mute. He spoke and drank rapidly a glass of water. was E.E. E. Cummings. Next to God, of course, I love America. Okay, let's, let's go with our, um, with our uh, labor connection. The Verizon strike, the largest strike in U.S. history, was uh, settled tentatively this week. The uh, the uh, membership is going to have to vote on it. Uh, strikers return to work June first with their heads held high after a victorious 45-day strike that beat back numerous management concessions. And, of course, there's the usual talking and writing about was it successful or not. Um, Verizon workers gained important footholds in the uh, Verizon wireless division. This was the Verizon uh, base division. 1,300 additional union jobs. The unions have granted $200 million in concessions on health care benefits before the strike. Verizon will also eliminate the hated quality assurance review system, an effort to micromanage the workday. Managers would bring techs in for two to three hour interrogations about their daily activities and dish out 30-day unpaid suspensions. 
On top of the job harassment campaign, Verizon provoked the strike by proposing to shut down U.S. call centers, outsource work to low-wage locations abroad, cap pension benefits at 30 years, and drastically expand its ability to send employees on assignments far from home. All these were turned back by the strike. The CWA and Electrical Workers IBEW won a 10.5 wage increase over four years. Increased contributions to their pensions protected themselves against outsourcing of call center jobs and a reversal of the subcontracting of some poll work. Big deal. They'll talk about it more in uh, Workers' Independent News. Right now, here's the World Report. Labor all over the world. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, June 3rd, 2016. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, union leaders attend the annual conference of the UN's International Labor Organization in Geneva. Labor demands quality work for the 116 million people working in global supply chains. The fight for an ILO proposed law about violence in the workplace, especially violence against women. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. 2016's largest international meeting of labor unionists has started in Geneva. The unionists are attending the 105th conference of the International Labor Organization. The ILO is the specialized agency of the United Nations, which is focused on matters of work in the world. This year's conference is being held May 30th to June 10th. Representatives from 187 member states will be attending. The ILO is operated as a tripartite organization, meaning that representatives from government, employer groups, and labor organizations define the organization's goals and operations. The official national delegations at the conference include two government representatives and one each from employers and labor. The participants will be discussing, amongst other issues, the future of work, global supply chains, migration, and the ILO's declaration on social justice for a fair globalization. Guy Ryder, the Director General of the ILO, is the first unionist to lead the organization in its 97-year history. In his opening address to the conference, he stressed that problems such as rapid change in the nature of work, inequality, and poor working conditions in supply chains are the result of people making decisions about work and how it is organized. This is what we have to keep in mind as we set about our work here in Geneva. We must not allow ourselves the illusion that inequality, marginalization, and division are things which happen to the world of work and to which it is our task to react. Because the reality is that it is in the world of work that these phenomena are brought about. Of course, under the pressure of external factors, but all of this is the consequence of what we do, how we behave, and what we decide. 
Labor unions have been for years pushing for government action to reduce violence in the workplace, especially violence aimed against women. Radio Labor senior correspondent Seamarie Ainsborough reports on the latest efforts. Union activists attending the annual conference of the International Labor Organization in Geneva, May 30th to June 10th, are using the occasion to lobby for an international law about violence in the workplace. The ILO is the United Nations organization which is focused on matters of work in the world. One of the ILO's mandates is to create minimum labor standards called conventions. These conventions can then be adopted by the 157 member states of the organization. If adopted, they become part of the country's legislative framework. A crucial convention the international labor movement has been fighting for is one which would be aimed at violence in the workplace. A number of labor organizations have been holding conferences on the subject as a way of highlighting the issue and pressing the ILO delegates to adopt a convention which would address violence in the workplace, especially violence against women. One of these organizations is the International Transport Workers Federation. The ITF is a global union federation which represents some 700 unions operating in 150 countries with 4.5 million members. It recently held a conference about violence against women in the workplace. Lena Dyring from the Norwegian Seafarers Union was one of the conference participants. For seafarers, for women seafarers, uh, it's really difficult. We may, in many instances, we do have policies and collective bargaining agreements that do protect women, and men too, for that matter, from harassment and uh, sexual abuse, sexual harassment, all sorts of things. Um, but I think in many instances the difficulty is that although we may have the policies, they may not always be correctly enforced and it may still women still suffer from from abuse from harassment because also they they don't their fear of reporting it and fear of you know the retaliation if they report it they still have to work with that person afterwards so i think it's really really important to find a way where women can feel safe Another participant at the ITF conference about violence in the workplace was Jane Peacock from Unite, the union in the United Kingdom. I'm in the public transport sector, bus driver. When I first got into it, we were only 6% representative women drivers. There's no, been no representation, so um, we formed a women's committee. And I'm starting to highlight some of the issues. We encounter such comments as, what's the matter with you time of the month? Where these may not be huge statements as such, it affects us on a daily basis. Helping to coordinate the global initiatives being taken by unions about violence against women is the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the body which represents national labour centres at the world level. Chidi King is the head of the ITUC's Equality Department. For us, this forum is taking place at a crucial time because, as you may know, um, we are about to enter a standard-setting discussion at the International Labour Conference to address violence against women and men in the world of work. And in October this year, there will be an experts group meeting that will probably decide whether or not we're going to end up with a binding international legal instrument to address this issue what the scope of that instrument will be, so how will it describe violence um, against women and men in the world of work, and what measures it will request governments to take 
to really address this very important issue and to make sure that there's redress for women and men who um, encounter violence in the world of work. I think it's really vital that um, we speak to our governments um, right now and we need to tell them to accept that a binding legal, in legal instrument is necessary. For this is C. Marie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the more than 2,100 stories our volunteers collected last week. Our top stories section included links to news about yet another week of escalating strikes across France and Belgium and massive demonstrations in Chile, all in defense of labor rights. And they report that the most basic labor rights of almost 50 million people are being violated every day as they are forced to work as slaves. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Wage and sewage workers on St. Lucia continued their strike in an effort to move their employer into improving their working conditions. Grocery store employees in South Africa walked in a wage dispute. Belgian public sector workers walked out for a day to draw attention to the impact of their government's austerity policies. Independent unions in Cambodia were criticized by pro-government unions for organizing a strike against the country's new labor law. A union in New Zealand won full wages for young workers with a quick strike against an airport catering firm. Nigerian public sector workers vowed to continue their walkout in an effort to force the payment of their wages. A wage dispute involving Argentinian oil workers has cut that country's production by almost 50%. Rail workers in Zimbabwe rejected an offer of $330 against the six months of wages owed them and continued their strike. Peruvian copper miners commenced job action to back their union's wage demands, as did Colombian nickel miners. And Canadian sugar processors started a wage dispute last week. Stories collected on our Working Women page included the looming $500 million pay equity decision for care workers in New Zealand, the release of a crusading feminist journalist in Azerbaijan, and moves to protect Cambodian domestic workers in Malaysia. Our health and safety newswire carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the lack of safety regulation enforcement in New Zealand that has resulted in the death of quarry workers, assaults on Australian healthcare workers, and the death of the sixth Yemeni journalist killed on the job this year. Currently, Labour Start is running seven online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labour Start, reporting for Radio Labour. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's all about global solidarity. Okay, there's our World Labor Report. Here's uh, workers' independent news about labor actions here in the United States. Mm -hmm. 
Workers Independent News We Can Review. I'm Doug Cunningham. Los Angeles striking port truckers, elected officials, clergy, and community leaders held a press conference Thursday to protest the planned closing of the port. Workers planned what they said would be a massive protest at the Los Angeles Harbor Commission meeting. Hundreds of striking workers are demanding that port companies stop violating labor laws. The Graduate Employees Union at Portland State University has been certified by Oregon's Employment Relations Board, bringing 800 new workers into the labor movement. The new union for Portland State University graduate students is affiliated with the American Federation of Teachers. Andres Oswell is a grad student worker at Portland State. Something that comes up a lot is pushback that graduate employees are seen as students. I think the fact that this is something that's become such a widespread issue has shown that there really is a collective interest around the workers as employees and the situation that they have as employees of the university. So that's something we're really excited to be a part of. The AFL-CIO has launched a member education effort aimed at GOP presidential candidate Donald Trump, AFL-CIO president Rich Trumka. When you look at Donald Trump, you have to say three things. One, he's unfit to be president. Two, he would make it harder for working people make ends meet, and three, he would tear our country apart. As a result of that, we're going on educating our members, and we give them the facts about him, and you get past the bluster. Trumka's comments came to the French media outlet France 24. But people need to be treated like human beings, and they're not treating people like human beings at Walmart. Walmart worker Greg Huff, as he recounted his experiences working for the giant retailer in a workers' roundtable Wednesday night, Walmart workers are speaking out during the company's shareholders meeting about working conditions and wages at Walmart and what workers are going through to keep the Walton family's billions of dollars rolling in. Huff says that he has an arthritic spine and Walmart refused to allow him to use a stool at work to avoid aggravating his arthritis. Jaron Davis is a U.S. Navy veteran making $10 an hour at Walmart. The workers are calling on Walmart to increase pay and improve working conditions while recognizing the right of Walmart workers to form unions. Hillary Clinton blasted Donald Trump's ability to be president Thursday, slamming him as dangerously incoherent. I believe the person the Republicans have nominated for president cannot do the job. Donald Trump's ideas aren't just different. They are dangerously incoherent. They're not even really ideas, just a series of bizarre rants, personal feuds, and outright lies. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. Doug Cunningham with the uh, Workers Independent News. Um... I want to inject a personal note here. Uh, this week, a couple days ago, actually, <clears throat> a young woman in my family became a lawyer. She was sworn in at her alma mater, Southwestern Law School in Los Angeles. My daughter-in-law, Serena, Suni Ramirez, otherwise known as Sweet Sue.
That was um, the Benny Goodman Orchestra with my uh, personal tribute to my daughter-in-law, Serena Ramirez, now a lawyer and working, I believe, mostly on immigration law. But we'll see about that. This is uh, the rise and strike, so important in... uh, the day-to-day work of, of the labor movement, so important because 40,000 people got together, acted in concert, refused to accept a bad deal, stuck to it, and won their concessions. Here's Lily Tomlin's take on a telephone strike. Uh, Harry, good afternoon. This is Miss Tomlin at her switchboard. I, ca- I cannot talk to the press now. I, I said I cannot talk to you now. Yes, the phone company is on strike. Everyone except the executives and me. I'll have that story for you when it's over. Well, in the meantime, just reprint the stories from our last strike and change the dates. <laughs> A gracious good afternoon. Directory assistance, Miss Tomlin on the wire. The business office, that number for the business office is listed in your directory. <laughs> you don't have a directory. Very well, I will switch you and the business office will supply you with one. Business office, Miss Tomlin speaking. <laughs> a new directory? Certainly, they are issued free of charge to our subscribers. Simply flag down any repair truck and they'll throw one to you. <laughs> you, you need installation and repair service? Installation and repair service will be listed in your new directory. Can it wait till then? Very well, I will switch you. Just a moment. <laughs> Installation and repair service, Miss Tomlin speaking. Oh, just a moment, please. At the tone, the time will be 3.23 and 30 seconds. Ding dong. <laughs> Installation and repair again. Oh, by the way, your three minutes are up. Please deposit five cents for the next three minutes. Thank you. That box sounds pretty full. I'll have to get down there on my dinner break and empty it out. Now then, how may I help you in the midst of the worst strike in our history? A phone installed? Hold on and I'll check. Winds are from the northwest at 20 knots per hour, whatever the hell that means. Yes, sir, I can give you a black wall model and a blue princess and install them myself tonight after work. Oops, just a second. President's office. No, he is not. No, he is not. In the glorious tradition of telephone company management, the president himself is out in a repair truck guaranteeing service to the community. Very well, I'll switch you to customer relations. Hold on, please. Are you still there, Black Wall Phone Blue Princess? I'll be right back. Customer relations, Miss Tomlin at the duty desk. You've just been struck in the head by a directory? I bet you were standing by the side of the road waving your arms, weren't you? Well, how bad is it? Doesn't sound attractive. You better call an ambulance. Directory assistance will give you that number. Are you still holding Blue Princess? Five cents more. I'll be right back. Directory assistance, Miss Tomlin in the saddle. General Hospital? Certainly, but that number is listed in your new directory, the one that just struck you in the head. Long distance, Miss Tomlin, EC. Madrid? Now, that certainly is a long distance. <laughs> just love to do that. Are you still there, Blue Princess? Give me your name and address. Uh-huh. Right, thank you. I'll be out first thing this evening and put those phones in. <laughs> President's office. Oh, sir, it's you. No, no messages. 
Oh, but listen, Chief, you've got to be careful where you aim those directories. <laughs> you winged a woman over here on the south side pretty badly today. No. No, I, I don't think anyone knows that it was you. Well, I'll see you when you check in. Times? Give me the city desk. <laughs> city desk? This is Ernestine Tomlin at the telephone company. You know, I think I've got that big story you've been waiting for. I'll be here all afternoon. Be sure you bring a photographer. <laughs> Gracious good afternoon. Dial a prayer. Miss Tomlin in the pulpit. <laughs>
Bob Dylan there with his uh, indictment of globalization, a.k.a. world capitalism, Union Sundown. You know, he says, capitalism is above the law. It say it don't count less it sells. When it costs too much to build it at home, you just build it cheaper somewhere else. Bob Dylan. It is Dylan's birthday this month, or last month. We kind of missed it, so uh, let's play a couple more by one of the masters of, uh, of the music scene in the world music scene, United States world music. Uh, here's an old one, and we'll have a new one by Eddie Vedder. It's called, well. Gather around people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown Accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone Or the times they are a-changing I'm writers and critics who prophesize with chance won't come again and don't speak too soon for the wheel's still in spin and there's no telling who that it's naming was the loser now will be later to win for the times they are a-changing Senators, congressmen, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall. For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled. The battle outside region will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls. For the times they are changing. Mothers and fathers throughout the land And don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times they are a-changing It is cast The slow one now Will later be fast As the present now Will later be past The order is rapidly fading And the first one now Will later be last For the times 
was uh, Eddie Vedder on the uh, Bob Dylan 30th anniversary <clears throat> CD with Masters of War, making very clear the connection between working people and the labor movement and war, as did Muhammad Ali. I want to get to some people now who led the way in the uh, anti-war movement of the last uh, several years, 50 years. And we go back to the Vietnam War now. And a guy named Donald W. Duncan. Okay, some of you who are around my age might remember Don Duncan as the first professional soldier of any kind of repute who came out against the Vietnam War. <clears throat> Duncan was a U.S. Army Special Forces soldier, born 1930. Um, Special Forces soldier who served during the Vietnam War, helping to establish the Guerrilla Infiltration Force Project Delta. Following his return to the U.S., Duncan became outspoken in his opposition to the conflict and became one of the leading public figures in opposition to the war. Duncan is best remembered as a military editor of the radical monthly magazine Ramparts during the Vietnam conflict and for his testimony in the 1967 Russell Tribunal under the leadership of Bertrand Russell, detailing American war crimes in Vietnam. So I always say that the one of the missions of this show, one of the uh, goals of this show is to take that political feeling, that radical feeling of opposition and resistance and progressive movement towards a better world that energy from the 60s and 70s and transplanting it to now. Don Duncan is one of the most important people who came out against Vietnam early on. Duncan was heavily decorated, receiving two bronze stars, Air Medal, the Vietnamese Cross of Gallantry with Silver Star. He was also tapped to write the official history of U.S. Special Forces in Vietnam, spending the last six or eight weeks of his tour engaged in this task. He declined the offer of promotion and ended his military career, returning to America. 
moved to Berkeley, California with his wife. There he became active in the anti-war movement. He settled later in Indiana in 1980 and in 1990 <clears throat> founded a nonprofit group that provided services to the poor. He died in a nursing home in Madison, Indiana on March 25th, 2009. Don Duncan, another hero like uh, Muhammad Ali. Father Eugene Boyle, another one. I'm reading now from the San Jose Bay Area News Group. To his legions of Bay Area friends, Catholic clergy, parishioners, and followers of many other faiths, the Reverend Monsignor Eugene James Boyle will be remembered for his singular lifelong fight for social justice throughout California. He was a role model for all of us, said San Jose Bishop Patrick J. McGrath. A close friend of labor leader Cesar Chavez, Boyle is the priest pictured in the iconic 1968 photo giving communion to Chavez on the day he ended his 25-day fast. The fast ended during a mass in Delano with thousands in attendance, including Senator Robert F. Kennedy. Eugene Boyle. No priest fought harder for justice for farm workers as well as justice for all workers, said San Francisco resident Clint Riley, former political consultant and a Boyle mentee. He was a real leader in San Francisco and also inside the church for promoting social justice and racial equality. Eugene J. Boyle. He was born in San Francisco July 28, 1921, the son of George Boyle and Mary Ellen Clark Boyle. Attended school in San Francisco, Mountain View, and St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park. Eugene Boyle, a priest and a fighter for social justice, died May 24th in Palo Alto. And then Father Daniel Berrigan. We lost another giant. Father Daniel Berrigan, who took his opposition to war and to the war in Vietnam a step further than most people were willing to do. He was jailed over and over again in uh, for demonstrations along with his brother Philip, another priest. Um, let's listen to this little feature about Daniel Berrigan. He was an award-winning poet and playwright, an educator, a controversial social and civil rights activist, 
a felon who has served more than seven years in prison for nonviolent protests, and a lifelong objector to what he called American military imperialism. He was also a Catholic priest, a Jesuit, and surprisingly, a former military chaplain. And he was so much more. Born in Minnesota in 1921 and raised in upstate New York, Daniel Berrigan's mother was second-generation German and his father second-generation Irish. They ran a small farm. Berrigan joined the Jesuits directly out of high school in 1939 and was ordained to the priesthood in 1952. He was assigned to teach theology at the Jesuit Brooklyn Preparatory School, and later he was appointed Professor of New Testament Studies at Le Moyne College in Syracuse, New York. That same year, he won the Lamont Prize for his book of poems, Time Without Number. In 1965, he and his brother Philip marched with Dr. King in Selma, Alabama. From 1966 to 1970, he was part of an organization at Cornell University in Ithaca, which brought together all religious groups on campus. It was during this period that he played an instrumental role in the National Peace Movement. In 1968, at the height of the Vietnam War, Daniel Berrigan made a controversial trip to North Vietnam with historian Howard Zinn. They met with Vietnamese officials and were able to bring home three American prisoners of war. The American government was not pleased. Later that year, Berrigan made national headlines. His brother Philip, a Josephite priest, had been arrested a year earlier for protesting both the draft and the Vietnam War by pouring blood on draft files in Baltimore. Now Dan and Phil and seven others would burn draft files in Catonsville, Maryland. In an interview, he said, I was teaching at Cornell and my brother Philip came up. He was awaiting sentencing for prior actions in 1967 in Baltimore, where they poured their blood on draft files in the city. And he came up to Cornell and announced to me very coolly that he and others were gonna do it again. I was blown away by the courage and effrontery, really, of my brother. Not really just submitting to the prior conviction, but saying, we've got to underscore the first action with another one. And he says to me, you're invited. But the idea of putting myself into the furnace of the king, uh, or being thrown there, was pretty shocking and new. So, I told Philip, give me a few days to think this over and pray over it, and I'll let you know. So I did. I went through some very serious soul searching and um, talked to my family and um, couldn't see, I, I will put it negatively, I couldn't see any reason not to do it. I didn't want to do it, but I couldn't not do it. Images of burning draft cards and draft records. By the time the taken. Catonsville 9 action happened, they switched from blood to fire. The Catonsville 9, as they came to be called, manufactured homemade napalm. The nine protesters, 
including Christian brother David Durst, used it to destroy 378 draft files in the parking lot of the Catonsville, Maryland Draft Board on May 17, 1968. The Berrigans were promptly arrested and Father Dan sentenced to three years in prison. Instead, he went into hiding for four months. The FBI apprehended him at the residence of William Stringfellow, an Episcopal theologian who made his home on Block Island off the coast of Rhode Island. Berrigan was sent to prison for four years. He was released in 1972. According to actor Tim Robbins, a friend of the Berrigans, they had been for years working various causes, writing congressmen, meeting with congressmen, meeting with judges, meeting with government officials, trying to go the route of what, you know, what everyone tells you, you know? You shouldn't do civil disobedience, they said. Why? Why don't you just write a letter? Well, they had been for years and years and years, and they had been doing as much as they could to bring attention to the war in Vietnam. But what they realized is that they had to break the law in order to bring out the larger moral issues into the public forum. Berrigan later traveled to France to meet with Nish Nhat Hanh, the exiled Buddhist monk and peace activist from Vietnam. In 1980, Berrigan, his brother Philip, and six others began the Plowshares Movement. They illegally trespassed onto the General Electric Nuclear Missile Facility in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, where they damaged nuclear warhead cones and poured blood onto documents and files. They were arrested and charged with over 10 different felony and misdemeanor counts. In 1990, after years of appeals, Berrigan's Plowshares 8 group was resentenced and paroled in consideration of time already served in prison. This legal battle was recreated in the 1982 film In the King of Prussia. Near the end of his life, Berrigan commented that he had been arrested for nonviolent protest more times than he could count, but not as often as he should have been. He spent over seven years of his life in prison for standing against violence and every other form of injustice. Daniel Berrigan remained involved with the Plowshares movement to his final days. In his declining years, he made his home in the Jesuit community at Fordham in the Bronx, taught at the university, and volunteered at a local clinic for people suffering with HIV AIDS. Even into his 90s, Father Berrigan continued to maintain a level of activism, including protests against American intervention in Central America, the 1991 Gulf War, the Kosovo War, the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan, and the 2003 invasion of Iraq. Father Berrigan remained a prominent pro-life activist who frequently spoke out against abortion and capital punishment, and he also worked in support of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender rights. He continued to write and publish and was a contributing editor of Sojourner's magazine. Father Daniel Berrigan has been described many ways. Gentle poet, determined activist, holy priest, inspired teacher, but perhaps the most accurate description is the most obvious. He was one of the great prophets of our time. All right, our celebration of peace activists <clears throat> today, beginning with Muhammad Ali. 
We talked about um, Father Eugene Boyle. We talked about Father Daniel Berrigan, Don Duncan, the Special Forces soldier who woke up and looked around and uh, said A equals A. Won't do this anymore. And of course, Muhammad Ali. Let's reiterate again. Now, what does the anti-war movement have to do with the labor movement? Okay, by and large, wars are fought in order to maintain markets, in order to keep in effect the existing property relations and the existing social relations. Those social relations include quiet, docile workers who are willing to do the work of the empire and not complain about it. So every war is a civil war. Workers fighting workers. Father Berrigan and others like him, including Muhammad Ali, challenge by challenging the war, challenge capitalism and challenge the social system that wars are supposed to uphold. Fruit of Labor from North Carolina.
That was the uh, fr Fruit of Labor Ensemble with We Ain't Ready, the initials W-A-R, spelling out war. We Ain't Ready. <clears throat> Look at the labor pageant, this day in labor history. On this day in labor history, Actually, it was June 7, 1913. The IWW had come to Patterson, New Jersey, where the silk workers were demanding an eight-hour day and better working conditions. In this case, workers wanted a, a raise of uh, from 11.69 a week for skilled workers and less skilled between six and seven dollars a week. 11.69 per week equals about a thousand dollars a month today. Uh, who could live on that? The majority of workers were ready to walk out in order to preempt the destruction of their livelihood by low wages and harder work. The IWW had just completed a successful strike at Lawrence, Massachusetts. They found the Patterson strike more to their revolutionary liking. They found Patterson more to their revolutionary liking than Lawrence. And uh, there was a multiplicity of ethnicities and nationalities. So Elizabeth Gurley Flynn played a huge role in Patterson, giving several important speeches and helping to organize activities for the strikers. The Italian syndicalist Carlos Tresca came. Big Bill Haywood arrived in March. He was immediately placed under arrest. But what happened was... AFL sent some organizer who were booed down by the strikers. And the IWW, in conjunction with artists from the New York area, artists and quote-unquote bohemians under the leadership of John Reed, decided to put on a pageant, in other words, a, a play, Reed recruited a team of theater volunteer professionals to train the strikers in their performances. And what followed was a play chronicling the strike. Act one, episode one, workers begin to think. Episode two, the workers alive, the mills are dead. The funeral of Modestino, uh, a striker who is beaten to death and killed by New York police. And on and on. This was an attempt to show through the drama the, the lives of workers and their determination to organize and make their lives better. 
took place on June 7, 1913. However, neither pageant nor strike was successful in the end. The pageant itself lost money. The strike collapsed almost immediately after the pageant. The strike preparations had distracted workers from actually striking, giving the workers, the owners the upper hand back in Patterson. Without the masses at the gates, strikers began returning to work. In early July, the skilled ribbon workers agreed to stop by to a shop by shop settlement, kicked the IWW organizers out of the decision-making process and went back to work. By July 28, the strike had collapsed. The pageant, look it up, IWW Patterson, New Jersey. Another case though where workers did not stay together. They allowed themselves to be divided uh, ethnically, racially, every other way, huh? Today in labor history, the Ford Motor Company signs a technical assistance contract to produce cars in the Soviet Union. We're talking about 1929. Ford workers were sent to the Soviet Union to train the labor force in the use of its parts. Many American workers who made the trip, including Walter Ruther, a tool and die maker who was later to become the UAW president, returned home with a different view of the duties and privileges of the industrial laborer. On May 30th, 1937, in what became known as a Memorial Day massacre, police opened fire on striking steel workers at Republic Steel in South Chicago. 2002, the ground zero cleanup of the site of the World Trade Center is completed three months ahead of schedule due to the heroic efforts of more than 3,000 building tradesmen and women who had worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week for the previous eight months. This day in labor history. Remember, you're only alone when you don't stand up. And if you don't stand up, They'll count you as standing up for sitting down. Okay, this is the B. It's getting up to the 12 o'clock hour. Flat black plastic will not be live today. Scott's over at uh, Yerba Buena Gardens. We will put on one of his archive shows. This is the B. you when one person gets a dollar they didn't work for another person worked for a dollar they didn't get if you don't have a seat at the negotiating table like the Verizon strikers did you're probably on the menu you can count on that and never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor Shout out to my soulmate, Sylvia Ramirez, my whole family, my daughter, Vita, 
who makes me proud to be a dad more and more every day. So Lena, Nepo, the whole group. This show, as always, is dedicated to the 2,500 workers worldwide who will lose their lives today in job-related conditions or quote-unquote accidents, as well as 150 United States of America workers who will die the same way. This is the B. Have a good week and good work to you. of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can 
listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> yeah. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission High vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission High for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. an underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky, oh. Well, hey there, 
San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter-offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini and creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Oh, happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. But you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Mutiny Radio FM Index at podcasts.pcrcollective.org. So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! You got it. I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. 
Choke Workshop. Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs>